Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the grace that has been afforded to us. And Lord, as we come to study your word, we ask that you speak to us, that you remove the barriers. For those, Father, who are seeking you, for those, Father, who are struggling today, for those who feel like they have been blocked from hearing your voice, I pray, God, that today that you would open their eyes and they would receive from you. That, Lord, we'd be honest, we would confess our sin before you as you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, God, we praise you at this time and we give you thanks. And we thank you for what you've done, for what you will do, and for what you are doing at this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to share with you this morning <clears throat> the sin that I struggle with the most. The sin that has caused me more heartache and more grief and more pain and more problems than, than any other. The sin that I've struggled with since I was a child, greatly as a teenager and a young adult, and still deal with to this day. I kind of have your attention right now, don't I? Um, <clears throat> It's anger. And it's, to be specific, it's unrighteous anger. Because the Bible actually gives us two types of anger. There's righteous anger. And God himself, in the Old Testament, we, we particularly see his righteous and just anger bruise. Matter of fact, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. The emotion of anger is not wrong. It's what comes after the anger. It's how the anger is expressed. And so, I want to talk a little bit uh, about that. And I want to talk a little bit about unrighteous anger and righteous anger because it is so prevalent in our society today. And the truth of it is, is that if we don't deal with anger, it becomes a part of who we are. It literally becomes part of our disposition if we're not careful. It can consume us and become a piece of who we are or even a large part of who we are, and people see it, people notice it. I, I want to give you an example of, of how bad anger can look, and just to give you a visual of what it can look like. And I have a picture here that depicts uh, anger, I think. Um, there you go. <clears throat> now, you don't want to look like that, and you don't want people thinking you look. You don't want people to have this face. Uh, that you're reminded of. By the way, this is our associate pastor. Great guy. We call him in a bad moment. And uh, but I want to show you some others for real that, that kind of depict that. Here, here's a nice child who dealt with anger, and certainly this is probably what she's mimicking. She's just getting an early start at this point. Can, can you think of Schwarzenegger without thinking of that mad face? I mean, it's just hard to do it, isn't it? Even Batman looks stupid when he's mad. I mean, when he has that anger coming out of his face, particularly in that year. Who is this? Anybody know? That's right, because you're over 30. Uh, Billy, Billy Joel. Next. Fidel Castro. If you hear that name, don't you just think of that face? Don't you just think kind of a cranky, angry, bitter, controlling old man? That's what you think of. The consummate face of anger. I, I, you know, that's just it. Even when he was excited. Even when you make his day. I mean, that, that's it right there. When you make his day, he's angry. And then poor John McCain. All right. Those are just some pictures of what we look like when, when we're mad and how it can become a part of who we are if we let it take control of us. 
We see it in the Bible. Uh, we see individuals in Scripture, men who let anger get the best of them. We see it as early as Genesis chapter 4. We see it in the story of Cain and Abel. You remember the story, how God asked and required an offering of Cain and Abel. And so Abel brought his offering, a burnt offering before the Lord, and the Lord was pleased. And then Cain brought his offering, and we're not exactly sure what happened. We don't know. Some scholars say it was probably because it was not of his first fruits, of his best. We're not sure, but for whatever reason, uh, he did not bring his best to the Lord, and God was not pleased by his offering. And so what happened? Instead of Cain confessing and repenting and saying, God, what do I need to do to make this right? He became angry at his brother Abel. He became so angry at Abel that it consumed him. And you know the story. He he was uh, working in the field, and I guess his brother didn't look at him just right, or his brother made a comment, and he kills his brother Abel. And then he buries him and tries to hide it, and God comes to him and and he's actually rude to God. He, God said, where's your brother? And he goes, am I my brother's keeper? And it's interesting what God says to him. He says, Cain, sin, your Bible may translate it, but it can also be tra- translated as unbridled anger, unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is crouching at your door, and it's seeking to consume you. God is giving him the opportunity to, to confess it. Let me take care of this. Let's confess it, and let's... Let's let the healing begin. But he was so addicted to his anger, he couldn't let go. And that's what happened. The the anger consumed him, and then he's banished from his family. He pays a high price. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Jacob, whose very name means deceiver, tricked his brother and went before his almost blind father and tricked him into giving his birthright. Esau is so enraged that he vows to kill him, and so Jacob has to leave. And for over 40 years, he's gone because of that anger that's brewing. And even when he finally comes back, Jacob's afraid to live with him. And it destroys his relationship. And his parents die. He's distanced from his brother. A high price he pays. We see Jonah, who God tells Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. Tell them to repent. Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. They've they've persecuted his people. He's had lots of problems with them. He didn't want want to go there. He goes ahead and and begrudgingly and preaches damnation to them and says, God's going to destroy you if you don't repent, thinking they'll never repent, but they do. And then Jonah becomes so angry. He goes so angry and it appears that it almost turns into depression. One of the first uh, visuals, we probably have a depression, and it's interesting that uh, Dr. Meyer, noted psychiatrist, said that 95% of people that deal with clinical depression, he said, first deal with with anger. He said it's unresolved and unsettled anger that leads eventually to depression. Let me tell you, my friend, if you're dealing with anger, if anger is inside you, if there's something that's brewing in you, you can handle it for a while, but it eventually gives way and it affects not only your disposition, but your very psychological, emotional, and spiritual makeup. And it almost always ends in depression. Depression usually comes for a variety of reasons, but often it comes when we can't resolve the feelings or the occurrences that have happened in our lives. You know, we we can get caught up in this, but, you know, there's also righteous anger. And we see that in the Scripture. We see God becomes angry with His people. He becomes angry with others. And it's always because of their sin. It's always because of their injustice. It's because of their taking advantage of the marginalized or the poor or the orphans. Or it's 
simply just atrocities of sin. And God is angered by this. But it's interesting. One of the ways that God identifies himself early on in the book of Numbers, when he, when he identifies himself with Moses, one of the times he says this, I am Yahweh God, the God who is slow to anger. You see, again, anger in itself is not sin. It's what we do afterwards. Anger can sometimes be good. John Christendom, the early church father, said it this way. He said, uh, you are not a righteous man if you uh, just because you're not angry. Matter of fact, a man who is never angry is actually a man who sins. What he's saying there is that there's some things that you ought to become angry about, that it ought to give rise in your temperature because of the injustice. When we see starvation, when we see uh, people who are being trafficked and placed into slavery, where it be sex slavery or whatever industry, when we see people who are being abused, we see that children are being abused, it ought to rise up in us. But not that we just vent and scream and try to hurt, but that we take action and we're prompted to do something. That's the righteous anger of God. I am the Lord thy God. and I am slow to anger. The God who never sins. You know, some of us just want to believe in the Old Testament. We, we, I've heard people say this. Matter of fact, I was visiting with someone when I was on vacation. He goes, you know, I just have a hard time with the whole Old Testament God. I'm not really into that. I'm kind of into the New Testament. Old Testament God. Not saying, I'm thinking it's the same one, buddy. Uh, but he goes, and he said, you know, it's just kind of a God of anger. You know, and he seems like he gets mad at stuff. And, uh, Yerslav Volf, who is a professor at Princeton University, who's from Bosnia, he said, you know, I used to be one of those guys that, I just didn't go with the whole anger thing of God. I, I wanted a God who was a nice grandfather, who just was loving and never got angry and never really did anything. But he said, and then the village in which I was raised was completely destroyed. Everyone was wiped out. Many of my relatives and friends, they know I don't even, I never found out what happened to them. They're gone. My village is gone. And villages all around my village were gone. And I began to think, God must do something. And I realized that I wanted a God of justice and that I had to believe in a God that would either bring justice in this life or the life to come. I needed a God who became angry and would deal with the atrocities of sin, either here or in the life to come. And that a loving God could only be a God of love if he deals with the atrocity of sin. And that's so true for us today. God in his infinite grace, it's not a self-serving Anger, but an anger for what is right and what is just. And it's the anger that is permissible for us as long as we handle it correctly. So as we look at this, there are some scriptures, I think, uh, that bear us reading. And so let me give you a few. In Proverbs 19.11, I'm using the New American Standard Version. It says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man's discretion or wisdom makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The Bible tells us right here that it's discretion to be slow to anger. Not that you never become angry, but that you are slow to anger. And, you know, this is something I've dealt with forever. And, you know, I thought about giving you all the examples of all the times I've been stupid and I've made mistakes in this field. But then I thought, you just quit listening to me after a while if I tell you everything. 
But, you know, I think of a couple of times, like even in high school, where I get into this screaming match with my coach, and I'm on the field in the middle of the game. And I'm screaming at him, and he's yelling at me, and that didn't end up well. <clears throat> it's in front of everybody. I remember another time, I'm in college, in rural sports, playing football, and, you know, this is supposed to be per- pretty benign. We're playing, it's about the fifth or sixth game, and the three referees, they call me over, they go, come here, come here. Hey, they want me. And so I go over there. And they go, we just want you to know that we're not going to put up with any of your junk today. The first time you blow up at us, you're out. And I'm thinking, out of this whole school, I just got picked. And, you know, and this was after I accepted Christ. I'm trying to be a witness. <laughs> and I just thought, man, I got a problem. You know what? A lot of us have a problem. The question is, is what are we doing with it? The Bible clearly says it is wisdom that makes us slow to anger. We serve a God who is slow to anger. It's not anger itself. It's what we do. It's how we handle it. Verse 20, Proverbs 23 says, It is one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Every fool is quick to quarrel. And 29.11 says, Fools, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. I was at the subway a couple of months ago, and uh, my daughter, Chloe, who's just three and a half years old, we went over there, and it was just the two of us, and she was in her little new dress, and she's dancing and waltzing around the room and dancing and singing, and there's nobody else in there, so I thought, that's great. And so she's dancing and singing and walking across the room, and I'm ordering my sub and get through. About that time, a, a lady walks in. And at first, I think she's a little younger, but as she gets closer, even though she has a mini skirt, a lot of makeup on, uh, she's probably about 75 years old. And she's with a, she's with a girl at, that I think is her granddaughter, but the girl calls her mom. And she starts to make an order, and it's not going fast enough. So she, she gets on to the, to the boy, to the teenage boy, about how you're not moving fast enough. And then she gets ready in her order, and there's something's not right, and she just starts berating him. And her daughter says, Mom, stop. She says, No. He's given awful service, so he deserves to be treated awful. And I'm just thinking, good night, lady. You've got an anger issue. And so she finishes, and she gets her food. My little daughter's still dancing, and she, my little daughter goes past her, and she goes, I am walking here. And, like, this rage, like, comes up in my head, and it's right here. And I'm so gifted, I have just what I want to say. And she fits the bill. I got some things to say, baby, that's going to make you feel bad. And I just remembered, God convicted me a long time ago, if you're over 70, you get a pass, okay? You, you, let me just tell you this, guys. You always look stupid if you get on to or try to correct somebody over 70. There's no way you're going to look right for me being in my mid-40s correcting a 75-year-old woman, okay? If I get on to her, if I say something ugly, I just look stupid and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? And that's just the way it is. So I bit my tongue and I held on to it because she got out. I took a deep breath. And I, and I let it go. And I told the boy, I'm, I'm sorry. He goes, hey, I'm fine. He goes, your daughter okay? And she never knew what happened. She's still dancing and singing <laughs> and saying, which, which was good. But see, that was not a sin at that moment. That's one of the few times I've done it right. That's not a sin at that point to feel that way. But if I had begun to berate her, that's where the sin would have come in. Let's look at the text. 
The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, 19. And what does God say in his word? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Again, this is something God convicted me of. This is something this summer God convicted me of. Uh, this is something I've gone to counseling for. I'm sure that makes you want to stay at our church. Um, but uh, it's something I just felt like I needed to deal with, and, and so I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, but this is a great, great passage right here. This is one I'm memorizing. I'm going to have my son memorize because, uh, because I need it, quite frankly. This is, this is just a weakness of mine. And, that's, and it's interesting. Just remember this. This is what God said. He said, be slow to anger. He didn't say no anger. Be slow to anger. What does he say first, though? He says, be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Are you listening? Be quick to listen. When we listen and understand the whole situation, sometimes it will diffuse the situation. Sometimes it will help us. Um, When we are slow to speak and slow to respond, which is very, very difficult for me, we are in a position where God can, can work in our heart when we can listen and then make sure that we have thought through properly when we are slow to anger. Now, a lot of people think this. A lot of people think, here's how you handle anger. If you're really spiritual, you just stuff it inside and you don't ever say anything. You don't ever do anything. If you get mad, you just suck it up and just leave it there. And let me say something. When it's a small offense... Or it's something you're not ever, no one you're going to see again, no one was hurt, like my instance at Subway. That's a good time to honor, to use some discretion. But if it's someone you know, someone you're working with, someone you're close to, someone you're related to, you can't just keep stuffing it down. That's not the biblical model. You may think you're a moralist, and, and people who do that usually go, I'm not mad. Not, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not mad. Anybody knows you're mad. And you know what? There's not any reconciliation ever going to transpire as long as you keep going, I'm not mad. I'm fine. I'm going to try. It, it doesn't bother me. When it's literally emanating out of your face. Okay, so that's not the godly way to handle it. Others think this. I'm just going to express it. I remember I had a roommate one time, and, and his deal was this. He goes, yeah, if I get mad, I just say it. You know, and he kept going through girlfriend after girlfriend. It, just, it would always never work. And he goes, I just tell her what I think because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want her to know what I feel. I want him to know what I think. So I just say whatever comes, whatever I'm feeling right now. Well, Scripture earlier, that's a fool. Is what the Bible says. A fool vents his frustration and anger. That's what a fool does. He doesn't use a filter. That's not godly either. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to confess it. It's not to stuff it or let it spew or express it, but to confess it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. To be honest with that. That doesn't mean you say anything in that moment. It may be that you have to take a step back and come back and deal with it later, which is usually the situation. But that when the time is right, you talk about it. You confess it to God. Uh, you confess it to someone. You help someone help you to talk it through who you trust and respect. And then you talk with that person if possible. That's how God would choose for us to handle it. So let's look at one more passage that helps us. And it is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 26, if you'll turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 4, for what the Bible tells us. Again, he says, in your anger, do not sin. So 
It's okay that you're, you're angry right now. But what are you going to do with that anger? Are you going to use it as a weapon? Are you going to try to destroy somebody? Try to hurt somebody? Try to belittle somebody? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, a lot of people think that means, um, hey, that means if you're in bed at night and you realize you're angry with somebody, call them up, go get them out of bed and tell them. That'll probably just make them mad, okay? So that's, that's what he's trying to convey here is the message of deal with it as soon as you can. Don't let it go and don't let it fester. Uh, you know, we've all had situations where maybe even with our spouse, where we're in, in bed, we're trying to go to sleep and we get upset with each other, okay? And you don't always get to fix that at the moment. But I will say, you probably sleep better if you can. Uh, but what he's saying is deal with it uh, in a timely manner. Uh, when you are ready and after you've prayed about it, deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Paul continues here and he says, And do not give the devil a foothold. We saw James said, do not give Satan the opportunity. What's he talking about? You know one of the primary ways that Satan comes in our life and he inhibits or prohibits our life or inhibits our relationship with God, it's through our anger. When we get angry, because when we're angry, we're saying, I'm in control. That's where I'm in control. And I'm going to handle this and we're going to do it my way. And we block the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is not able to work in our life because we've taken control. And we're saying, I'm going to be on the throne and I'm going to control this situation. And Satan just rushes right on. That's right. And he begins to fan that flame. That's right. Look how they've treated you. You haven't been respected. You haven't been appreciated. They should never have said it. You shouldn't. Look what she did. Look what he said. And you just keep fanning it and fanning it. And it becomes more and more a part of you. It's like the Lord of the Rings with the rings put upon the finger. And it becomes a part of who he is. It's like a... Tony Romo interception. They keep showing it over and over. Every highlight. They show it over and open the front page of the paper. It's Tony Romo throwing an interception. You go, I don't want to see it anymore. And you shouldn't. Just put it aside. Turn the TV off. Okay? Quit reliving it. And some of us, we just keep reliving the offense. Instead of confessing how it has bothered us and hurt us. And ask God to begin to heal us. And to repair us. You know, when we are angry or furious at someone... It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. We now know that anger has tremendous effects on us physically. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it is the emotion that does more damage to our heart than any other emotion there is. I see one of our doctors nodding his head. It is, uh, matter of fact, a lot of doctors say it is even worse than physical, heavy physical exertion. It's even more strain on your heart, that spirit of anger. Do you know most murders occur? with someone who's angry. You think about Columbine. You think about Virginia Tech. You think about Aurora. You think about Timothy McVeigh. All those situations were angry men. They had become angry about something and they were bidding it out. It's destructive physically, relationally, and spiritually. We have to allow God to control, help us to control it, to be slow to anger, to be angry and to sin not. And where does it come from? It comes from three basic things. Number one, fear. When we are afraid. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you should uh, have some fear that jolts that anger if it's for our children or we're trying to protect someone. That's okay. Again, it's what we do with it after. Or it comes from uh, pain, pain that you felt, 
someone has pained you. Maybe you're having physical pain and you're just having hard to forgive and let go. And all you can think about that pain, it consumes you. And you see other people are in pain or that person who calls you didn't have pain. It just eats you up. And the last one, control. This one's my issue. When we're not in control. I'm driving down the road and, and I'm on a three-lane highway and there's three cars going 45. But it's 50! And I'm going to be late. You're making me one minute late. Which is really my fault because I didn't leave early enough. But it's your fault. And I'm mad because I'm not in control right now. I'm not in control of this situation. Amen. Some of you ought to just say amen. That's you, okay? We, we get in that, that spirit and that attitude that we're not in control. And it just angers us. That's unrighteous. That's about you. How you look and what you think it's doing to you. Or how you don't get what you want. That's the unrighteous anger that the Scripture is talking about here. The Bible is clear that anger can be a good thing if used for His purposes, but it can have drastic effects if not. So what do we do with that anger? Let's talk about a few things biblically we can do to deal with our anger. First of all, remember when we become angry, remember how much you've been forgiven. Remember how much God has forgiven you, all the sin that you've committed. Think about the forgiveness that's been granted to you by a perfect holy God who was nailed upon a cross for your sins. Number two, recognize the beam in your own eye. My guess is that you have sin too, okay? There are problems in your life. Recognize your own sin. Think about the ramifications of your anger if you let it continue, if you go off and how it's going to affect your relationships, how it's going to affect your witness, how it's going to affect those you love. Confess your anger to a trusted friend. First, confess it to God and then talk it through. I have to do that uh, regularly. I have to talk it through with mentors and say, help me walk through this situation. Help me to think that. And, and when I don't do that, I'll, I'll always regret it. Confess and believe in the power of God that God will work through this. That all things can work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Remember that God will ultimately vindicate all injustice, either here or in the life to come. Meditate upon Scripture. I'm having my son memorize these verses too. And sometimes we just need to say them over and over again out loud. You know, that's what basic meditation is anyway. Just repeating that Scripture over and over. Be angry and sin not. Be slow Just quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Say that about 12 times the next time that rage starts to build within your heart. And then lastly, analyze and examine what is it that you love most? Because you see, the reason we're really angry is because our love is disordered for God. It's what we love most we get angriest about. And some of us love ourselves the most. Some of us love our our position the most. We love our ego. We, We love our image the most. And when someone affects that or attacks that, that's what really makes us mad. It's disordered love is what it typically is. Now, let me give you, a, let me give you an example of something that's going to happen to 90% of you. And for a lot, a lot of you, this has already occurred. But one day, if it hasn't already happened, there's going to be a friend or relative or family member, spouse, whatever it is, that you're honestly going to be trying to help. Maybe they're making a bad decision and you're going to try to help them and they're going to become angry at you. And they might not use these exact words, but they're going to say something. You hate me. You don't really care about me. You don't really love me. You don't really respect me. And they're going to lash out at you even though you're trying to help them. And you're going to feel 
just this urge in you. You're thinking, I know I'm going the extra mile. You think I want to do this? You think I'm trying to do this? This is not what I want. You think I want to have this conversation? Because it's hard for you and you don't want to do it. Which, by the way, means you're in the right spirit. If you want to, if you want to confront me, I want to go tell him something. Then you're in the wrong spirit. That's not righteous anger. You're absolutely in unrighteous. Okay. If it's hard for you and it's difficult for you to go talk to him, then you're in the right spirit. Then you're, then you've got the righteousness of God upon you. And so they're going to do that and it's going to hurt because it's not fair and because you're, you're doing this at a cost and they're appreciating it. And sometimes it's going to happen with your spouse. And let me say this. If you're a parent, you can just go ahead and write it down. This is going to happen, okay? Maybe 1% of you, this won't happen. But it's going to go just like this. I can tell you how it's going to go. Probably when your child's a teenager, probably when they're 15, 16 years old, this is going to happen one day. They're going to come and go, Mom, Dad, everybody's going to New Mexico, and they're going to be a camping trip for three days, and I want to go. Or there ain't, what kind of super? There's not. We're just all going to go, but we're old enough now, and I want to go with them. Something like that. That most reasonable parents will go, no, you're not. You're not going. You're not taking the car and you're not going to New Mexico. And that child is going to respond. You hate me. Why do you hate me so much? And I hate you. You never let me do anything. I hate you and you hate me and I hate this place. Can't wait to get out of here. And you're going to get angry. You know why that's going to bother you? Because you're thinking, kid. Of all the people I've made sacrifices, it's you. I mean, even more than your spouse. I have sacrificed you. I have gone to all your games, all your ballets. I've watched you do things. I've watched you sit on the bench. I mean, I've done all of it. I've paid all this money and I bought these ridiculous clothes. And, you know, I've done this and I've listened to you complain and whine. And, and I mean, and you just know at the very center that what they're saying is so ridiculous. You've sacrificed more for them than anybody on earth. And now they're telling you that you hate them and they hate you. And at that moment, you have the opportunity for three responses. And it tells you where you are. It identifies you. The first one you can do is you can withdraw and go, I I didn't know that. I I don't want to make this any worse. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pray that you graduate after your junior year. I mean, and we just start trying to avoid them. And we start counting the days on our calendar to when they leave the house. And maybe there'll be peace again. And we just kind of withdraw and try to get away from it. Then on the other side, you know, the other thing you can do is you can go, that's it. I've had enough. I hate you. I tell you what, I sure don't like you right now. I can't stand you after all I've done. And do you know how many medical bills? You know what I'd have. You know what kind of house I could have or a car. I hadn't been putting all the money in you. Yes, you, 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 you. And, and you are so good at it because you've got about 30 years pent up of, of being able to do this. And you just lay it on them. And you tell them how awful they are and how ungrateful and ridiculous they are. You maybe even tell them that you hate the way they're acting and you even, maybe you even hate them in the moment. And all you'll do is just fester that fire and just make a fool out of yourself. Or, there's the other way you can handle it. You can think, you can feel that anger blowing up and you can take a step back and say, you know what? We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. And you go out. And um, you kick a hole in the wall. You do whatever it is that, that you need to do. You try to get a hold of yourself. And you come back and say, you know what? I understand that you're upset. And I would love to talk to you about this some more. But where we are as parents or as a parent is we don't feel like that's what's best. It's best for you and you're not going to go. And I understand that you're frustrated and angry about that. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. But this is the way it's going to be. 
So you absorb, and you're going to absorb some anger. You absorb some irrational, but you stand true to what is right and to your convictions. And at the same time, uh, you don't respond in malicious anger, in rage with them. It's hard. Again, I speak to you as one who's messed up. And we all, you know, many of our children advance. They've already done that. They're not even teenagers yet. They've already done it. You know, and so we've all been there. The question is how we're going to handle it. And you know what? If you've made mistakes in the past, that's okay. God forgives, but we want to do what's right. And more than anything, what it does is it reveals our heart. God, I just want to run away. I don't want to deal with things. God, I don't know that you can do anything. Or in this fit of rage. God, I'm going to be in control. Doggone it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be me. And I'm sick of this. And I'm putting a stop right now. And it's my way. And I'm the winner. I'm going to win this one. I'm going to beat you up, kid. Verbally, emotionally, I'm not going to take it anymore. We can recognize. You know what? They're immature. And they're still not going to get their way. I'm still the authority. And I don't like this. But, this is, but I'm going to accept that. I'm not going to repay rage with rage. I'm going to be firm. I'm going to be the adult. That's a picture of our spiritual life, by the way, our relationship with God. Some people go, I don't want to hear it from you, God. And they just withdraw. I just want to get away. I don't hear it. Don't talk to me about that. Others are mad at God. God, why haven't you done for me what you did for them? I see other people being blessed. Why do I have to deal with the pain? Why has it happened to me? God, is this all you can do? And some say, God, I don't understand. It hurts. God, I recognize you are the God of the universe, and I receive your grace and forgiveness, and I ask you to heal me. I confess my weakness to you. You know how you, the only way that you accept Christ, you know the only way salvation comes is when you're here, when you're humbled, and you recognize life isn't fair, things don't go the way I want, but yet he's still God, and I trust him. And I will cling to what is right and to what he says. Have you come to that place where you've transferred your trust to him, where you've accepted him as your savior? If not, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you're still hanging on to anger and it's eating you. Don't let it turn into malice and resentment. Don't let it become a part of you. Don't be known by that as being a part of your spirit. We have some folks that will be in our welcome room that would love to pray with you. and I'll be around here too if you need prayer. Uh, we're going to take an offering at this time. And if you're visiting with us, we ask that you just fill that up, tear off as much information as you're comfortable. If you're not visiting, if you're uh, a member and you have prayer requests, write that on there. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, we all deal with anger to some degree. It's not a question of if, it's when. Lord, I pray that you would help us and me in particular. God, to uh, be better, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That in my anger I would not sin. God, I pray that for my brothers and sisters. That we would confess before you and confess before our brothers and sisters when we struggle. Ask their forgiveness. Ask their help. And Lord, uh, just share open and honestly where we are. God, we want to be a church of reconciliation. And God, I ask that that begin with me, and I ask for your forgiveness of my many failures, of the many times I've sinned, the many times that I have 
hurt relationships. Uh, the many times, Father, that I have not demonstrated the spirit of Christ. I confess that to you and before this congregation. Lord, I ask for your accountability. I ask for your power. I ask for your peace. I ask for your strength. As I confess, as you said in your word, as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we put that before you. We don't want to deny it. We don't want to hide it or pretend like it's not there or that it's justifiable. But Lord, we place it before you. Forgive us. Forgive me. We invite you to transform us in the name of Jesus. Amen.